Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In 2020, Wells Fargo said that there is a very limited pool of Black talent to recruit from, and that's why they have been unable to reach their DEI goals. While they have since apologized for this statement, the sentiment is pervasive and persistent. Today, many companies still believe this myth that there just aren't enough Black professionals to hire, but Black scholars, Leaders and executives know it can't be further from the truth. To break down why this myth continues and what good companies are doing despite this myth, today I'm talking to Joelle Allen. She is an expert in all things recruitment and retention, the SVP of Client Services for KP Companies, and founder and CEO of Interaction Traction, Inc. Interaction Traction, Inc. helps their client partners train, develop, and maintain a diverse workforce. We'd also like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, I am so excited to chat with Joel about how companies can better support their Black talent. Welcome, Joel, to the Heart of Equity podcast. How are you today? I am well. How are you? I am doing well. Well, let's jump right into this podcast. I have so many questions that I, I want to ask you, and I know you're the right person to talk about this topic for today. But first, I want to get into just your personal journey and learn more about any personal or professional experiences that made you interested in talent recruitment and retention. When I think of journeys in general, I think of layers, right? And scaffolding. And so how I reflect on my journey now is probably different than as I was going through it. But what still stays with me is that when you are one of the few or one of the only within leadership and within organizations, that sticks with you. And then, you know, as I fast forward in my career, doing DEI training, doing leadership training, all of those things, and you look around and you don't see as many people as you should, or you see very talented people being looked over, it stays with you. And so it's really um, an important part of why recruiting is so important to me. And why having a focus on perspectives that organizations are missing is part of that, that journey. That's, that's absolutely true. And as we talk more about this topic, what are some of the misconceptions or challenges that Black professionals face when it comes to hiring practices, especially in the healthcare industry? Whether it's the healthcare industry or others, there are two that really stand out for me because they persist. And so the first is that high caliber Black talent is rare and hard to find. 
right? And the other is that we need to lower our standards in order to recruit people of color. And to assume either is false. (laughs) And so those are the two. And so let me talk about the first one. When I hear we can't find people of color, what I really am hearing is that you have not expanded your networks to include individuals that don't that don't look like you. And it's really important to understand this. It's not so much an indictment as if you really want to get to better outcomes, then you need to expand your network. When I think about the fact that there are over 40 million now just African-Americans in the U.S. And now I'll just go to my home state of Minnesota. So we have almost 400,000 Black people in Minnesota, the majority of which live in the Twin Cities, right? It's the most densely populated area. And then you add to that another 350,000 Latinos. And you add to that another 300,000 Asians. And you add to that another 50,000 Native Americans, right? I mean, you see where we're going here. And so with well over, you know, a million folks to choose from, the likelihood of you not being able to find one highly qualified person of color for one job (laughs) is statistically improbable. Yes. And sadly, I think that we live in a world where often folks don't need to expand the network. They've never had to expand their networks or open those networks up to people of color. And so the issue isn't rarity within the population. The issue is rarity within your network. Right. So we got to grapple with that. (laughs) Then the next thing is uh, the other barrier is around having to lower standards and working under this assumption that blacks are somehow less qualified or less equipped um, to do the job. And research supports that not only is this not true, but that we tend to over scrutinize when we start looking at black candidates. We, you know, want to cross every T, dot every I. And this is a good practice, except for when we look at majority candidates, often we, you know, we recruit on potential and all of these nice flowery, hopeful words that show grace and give them the benefit of the doubt. And we're not doing that for our colleagues of color. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's continue down the healthcare tracks. Yeah. What can healthcare leaders do to ensure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is incorporated into all aspects of their organizational culture? And in your opinion, why is this needed for recruiting and retaining Black talent? So when I think about this question, I think about what we need to start, stop, and continue. First and foremost, I think we need to start working from an assumption that inclusive organizations, departments, units, teams, decision-making is superior to those that are not. So we need to start from that assumption. We also need to start to look at a well-documented history that is staring us in the face and that shows us where those pitfalls are. We know it is well-documented that Blacks and other people of color have been used for experimentation, We know that they wait in lines much longer, that they don't get the medication that they need, right? All of these things or are over-prescribed medications that they and procedures that they may not need just out of assumptions for, you know, what Black people have. So I think we've got to first understand that that is um, 
an ugly past, but it's a real past and we can learn from that and we can start doing better. Yeah. We can do much better. So that's the start. I think when we think about what we stop, that we need to stop working from an assumption that diversity is now this, this additional thing that we have to do on top of our work. No, diversity and inclusion and access and belonging are the ways we do our work. The way that we do the work, the how of our work that already exists and not something additional. It is not a burden. It is a privilege, right? To be able to do things in ways that are more and more inclusive. And the other part of that is, you know, when we build muscle around being more inclusive, it helps us in every aspect. So I like that. And finally, the continue part of that is to continue showing up for people and developing, you know, deeper levels of understanding and uh, being allies for each other across differences. So that's that's what I would say there. Right? Yeah. Particularly in healthcare, which is so incredibly important, touches every aspect of our lives from birth to passing. Absolutely. At a minimum, healthcare should be the leader in this space. They should be the Not ones enough. that are emulating what it means to be inclusive because like you said we do touch so many lives and if we're not doing it well then it doesn't bode well for other industries absolutely i think there's also an opportunity in the healthcare space in particular to really um be more open to different types of approaches and medicine and all of that when we look across this incredible world of ours, right, we have traditions that are thousands and thousands of years old. And so this blended approach to how we honor not only the physical being, right, but the the mental and spiritual um, and psychological being um, that comes into our waiting rooms. So that becomes an important piece too. Well, in your experience... Are there any organizations that are doing this right? And if so, what is that list so that we as leaders can look to them, can learn from them, can partner with them? Who's doing this right, in your opinion? There are lots of organizations that are doing certain things right. And then I think most organizations have room to grow, right? So that's what I'll start. So first, let's talk about what does doing it right mean? And so I would say that organizations who are doing this right have several things in common. The first is that they set clear and measurable and unapologetic goals, right? They don't use flowery, oh, we want to increase the diversity of our da-da-da-da. They say we need to increase our representation of women by X percent, our representation of African-Americans by this percent. And they also connect that to something real in their world. They look at it and say, hey, when we look out at the people that we serve, X percent of those people are people of color. So we need to be reflective of that, right? So they really think about um, clear, measurable, unapologetic goals. They set it and they get going. They also have leaders who are both committed, but also reflective, who are um, courageous and vulnerable enough to say, we haven't done a good job, 
right? Here's where we have fallen down. And this is our opportunity to not do that, right? I think that's really important. Um, I also think as part of that commitment, we have to put the resources behind the leaders who are championing uh, diversity. Um, it is quite common for us to take this 500-year-old problem and charge a person with solving it with no budget, no direct reports, right? No <laughs> anything. How in the world can you expect this person to do that successfully? You wouldn't do it in marketing. You wouldn't do it in accounting. You wouldn't do it in HR. Don't do it in diversity. Yeah. This is something that's facing our world that has dire consequences if we don't get it right and amazing opportunities when we do. Let's act like that's the case. So measurable goals, committed leaders who are self-reflective, um, and then they're also data-centric. They can look at the data and they look deep in the data to make sure that they're seeing it from a variety of perspectives, and that's really important. They bring a variety of voices to the table um, so that they know what they're missing. And finally, they prioritize outcomes. I think of all of these commonalities that might be the most important because there's a lot of great intention around this work. But guess what? If all your folks of color are still leaving, if all your folks of color are still not getting promoted, if your customers are still complaining about the service they get based on their skin color, guess what? Your intent and impact are not aligned. Yeah. And so these are folks that focus on outcomes. In the healthcare space, an organization that strikes me is Kaiser Permanente, especially a couple of years ago, and all of the work that they've done around changing narratives, putting measures around how you serve your folks in ways that are equal or equitable. And so I think that they've done an amazing job and I would encourage people to look at some of those metrics. The other one from a different industry I would say is Intel. And part of the reason why I think about them is that some years ago, they looked at their diversity metrics and they looked deep into those metrics and they, you know, first kind of patted themselves on the back. We look really diverse. And when they got into the numbers, they're like, ooh, <laughs> but not really in the suites, you know, in the C-suite, and, right? And they started yeah. to see deeper in the data the issues they got. Well, number one, I applaud them because they did it publicly. They let everybody see it. They started to set clear objectives and they are making progress on those objectives. And so that's, that's how you do that. Right. And then the last one would be Starbucks. They've had some issues, very public issues, and they've taken hard and public stances. I mean, shutting their entire system down for a day for training says something. Those are great examples. And to the point you made about the power of vulnerability, that's something that is very powerful. Many yeah. people don't want to expose those issues that many of us in our organizations are facing. But like you said, they're intentional. And they are outcomes driven and data centric to say, this is where we are, but this isn't where we're going to stay. Very important for more organizations to do that. Absolutely. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with black owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, 
and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Roots Community Birth Center. Roots Community Birth Center is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, working to make out-of-hospital birth accessible and welcoming for all families. For more information, please go to rootsbirthcenter.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. You talked about keeping the talent once it walks in the door. The person is hired, they walk into the organization, but it's also important to look at the retention. How do we keep them? So what are some of the common mistakes that companies make when it comes to poor retention of Black team members? Ooh, it's such a big question, right? (laughs) Anytime we bring new talent in the door, regardless of background, our job is just beginning. It's not finished. And so we need to onboard and develop and coach and mentor and learn from and take direction from and write all of those things, support their leadership. And I think, unfortunately, when it comes to Black talent, this is where, and and talent of color, we certainly see it for women and tech industries. So understand a lot of identities are impacted by this. But I think that the anti-Black sentiment that has been pervasive throughout our history makes it more dire for African-Americans. And we see that reflected in pay and we see it reflected in other in other numbers. But I think once we get them on board, we say, okay, check, we've done our duty. They're here. And the bias of, you know, the bias that drives us to not support, not rally around, not believe that they're worth the additional investment is pervasive. And so that's how we start to keep Black talent is to treat them like we do other employees, invest in them over time and continue to invest. And I think it also shows up in the way that we show up when we see leadership being undermined. It is well-documented that the um, decisions of leaders of color are often questioned and undermined even by people at far lower levels of the organization. And so how do you show up in ways to say, wait a minute, why are we even talking about that? Why are we questioning that? And then finally, I'll say that I think often we mistake politeness for openness and believe that as long as we're polite, nice, and we smile and we say hello every morning, you know, we're woke and we're inclusive and we've made them feel like they belong. And that's not true. One story that I heard with an organization that I was working with that has really stuck with me over the years is, you know, a person who said, you know, hey, I've been with my organization for 10 years. Everybody's very nice to me, right? I've gotten promoted. I feel like they value my work. So I can't really complain. And yet I've never been asked out for happy hour. I've never been invited to the cabin. I've never been invited to these other things. And I watch my white young colleagues come in and within two weeks, they have invitations to go golf, go fishing, all of this. So we are not creating environments where our black employees feel like they are tethered to the social fabric of the organization. And then we wonder why they go. Well, nothing's keeping them there. So we've got to do better. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk more about KP Companies and the amazing work that you're doing there. What exactly is KP Companies doing to help companies successfully recruit and retain Black talent? KP Companies, first of all, has been around now for two decades. It started through a vision from founder Miguel McMore, who, like I did, said, hey, we are passing over an awful lot of talent that deserves to be seen. As part of that founding, what we knew is that we have to show up, that we have to be well networked, and so we strive to do so. And we make it a point to be in spaces with talent across industries and sectors and identities. And we learn what we don't know, right? We listen when we need to listen. And we also show up as partners with our clients to gently course correct, right? Assumptions and educate them where we need to. And then, and learn when we need to as well. We do DEI training as part of our process as we are hiring so that we start to look up front for biases that might come through the interview process so that we can get the right people here, assess them accurately, right? You do have people who just don't belong in an organization. It has nothing to do with their background, (laughs) right? They're just not good. And we can say that because the process is fair. One of the other things that we're doing to bridge the gap is making sure that we can be a partner during the onboarding process and then making sure we're doing things after hours to extend our social networks to candidates, particularly candidates who are coming in from out of state where they haven't developed network. Minnesota is a really tough place to, you know, get into. Um, And I love Minnesota. I mean, I I love it. I was born and raised here and all that, but sometimes we can be a little bit of a clicky bunch, right? And so (laughs) you got to get folks in, right? We all know who we went to kindergarten with and we had, you know, coffee with them last week. And that's that's a wonderful thing. So we don't want to lose it, but we want to expand on it. And so we do that for candidates by inviting them in. I love that. We talked about KP Companies and the amazing work you're doing there. Let's talk a little bit more about Interaction Traction, Inc. Thank you. So Interaction Traction, Inc. is a diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion strategy firm. As we look at inclusion and how we increase inclusion within organizations, what we know is that we have to take a fully integrated approach. Often we want to just, you know, take one piece of it. Um, We partner with KP companies on one aspect of that integration, and we look at kind of the four core buckets of business, HR, right, talent, and getting the right folks on the bus, and we do that in partnership with KP companies. Operations, do our policies, practices, procedures, right, really are they in alignment both with strategy but also with outcomes that are inclusive. We look at our marketing and PR function and how do we interact with internal and external audiences around our work and our mission and how that relates to inclusion. And finally, with finance, do we put our money where our mouth is? Do we invest in outcomes that are going to be more inclusive for all? And so that's what's behind Interaction Traction. And why it's so important to me as somebody even who does a lot in the recruitment space, because it's part of the retention piece. KP can recruit them and Interaction Traction can help you keep them there. 
Well, I hate to conclude this great conversation, but as they say, all good things must come to an end. Are there any current trends in hiring practices that make you hopeful for the future? And what do you hope to see change in the next five to 10 years? I am most hopeful by the fact that we are having conversations like this, that unapologetically we are saying what needs to be said so that we can really start to work with the real issues. So that makes me most hopeful. I would like to see a couple of practices go away, blind interview processes being one of them. And while the intent is good and I get the value of them, I hope for a world where instead of ignoring those things and having to trick ourselves into hiring right, that we actually see the full beauty and majesty of the human experience and still hire them and that we understand the merit and quality that they bring. So that would be the first thing. And I think the other part of it would be making sure that we, I I would like to see this mandatory salary postings actually go away. And I know that that's not a popular thing, right? Everybody wants to see those. Um, Some of it, quite frankly, is probably driven by nosiness. (laughs) There's some research to support that it's helpful as well. But understand that there's also a whole lot of research that supports that, particularly for people of color and underrepresented groups who uh, historically have been underpaid to begin with. Um, when they see a salary that is much larger than the one that they're making now, they often opt out. And this is people who have been doing the work, who are just as qualified, may opt out of the process, self-select out. Incidentally, people who are making just a little bit more often self-select out too, when you may be able to negotiate a higher salary. So for us, um, we make it a practice of not posting salaries up front. But um, we have the salary discussion the very first time that we have that call. And so our goal is not to hide it, but to delay it to where we can have a conversation so that I can understand from a recruiter's perspective, if you're qualified, and then we can deal with the salary piece because our goal is to make sure that we help with equity and pay equity across the board. And we get you where your qualifications demand you should be rather than just 10% higher than where you were. We never ask, what are you making now? It's what does it take to get you into this position? And here's what the market says for this position. I love it. I love it. Joel Allen, Senior Vice President of Client Services for KP Companies and founder and CEO of Interaction Traction, Inc., Thank you so much for joining our conversation and helping to debunk this myth of the limited pool of Black talent. Thanks for allowing me to be here. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.